transmit his will, and I was forever changed. He found me a coward, but he left me a conqueror. Good morning. It was in 1898 when two traveling businessmen met at a hotel that was completely packed and there was no place for them to go. There was one room left and there was two double beds in it and they just decided that they would take it and split it down the middle. As the evening went along, they realized that they shared a common faith in Jesus Christ. And so what started out to be an inconvenience got to be a great friendship. As a matter of fact, they got to be such a great friendship that they said, you know what, we should, we should have something for Christian businessmen. Let's just try and see if we can get a, get a bunch of us together. So they sent out the word, and one person showed up. It was William Knights, and he just thought this was a great idea. Even though one person had come, um, he thought it was a great idea, and he said, you know, I've got a great idea for what we should be called. I think we should be called the Gideons. I guess he was thinking, well, like it's three against so many, and Gideon only had 300 against hundreds of thousands, and, uh, and that name stuck. They began in 1908. They decided that one way maybe they could reach some of these businessmen that were traveling is that they could have a Bible in the hotel rooms. And so they began the Gideon ministry, that the Gideon Bible that you find if you go into a hotel room. It's because of these businessmen that want to reach out and help people that might be traveling and not know Jesus. Now I went to one of the hotels in Hampton down here and asked if I could borrow one of their Bibles. And I looked at it and I truthfully have never really looked through the Gideon Bible. I usually have my own or I have an electronic device with me so I just don't ever really look at it. But they had some really cool things at the beginning where you can find scriptures for anxiety, depression, different things. But I like what was on the back cover. This is the, the very last thing that is said. It says, Gideons are praying for you. They're praying for you regularly and others like you who pick up a Bible or receive a New Testament that you will read it and find real hope with the love of Jesus Christ. Let God direct you to the passages that will bring you comfort. Our prayer is that you will make a decision to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Grow in faith and love for the Lord as he brings new meaning and purpose to your life. Isn't that really cool? You know, um, sometimes when you say the word Gideon, that's what people think of, the Gideons. But today we're going to actually be talking about Gideon the person, the guy in the Bible. In, in two chapters of Judges, he, he begins in chapter 6 and, and 7. But before we get there, I'm going to actually talk to you a little bit about what happened before before we got to Gideon. Because sometimes you need to know the backstory of how they got to the place that they are. And Gideon is one of the Israelites, and you remember all the stories of the Israelites, you know, where they were oppressed by the Egyptians and, and God sends Moses. And 
And they will not, Pharaoh will not release him, so they send plagues upon Egypt. And you know the plagues keep getting worse and worse. Yet, at one point, he finally, Pharaoh says, just get him out of here. Just take him. And thousands of Israelites with their, with their animals and their kids, and can you imagine, they're just all walking. And then what happens is, Pharaoh said, wait, what happened here? Um, this is a little bit of a problem because, well, they run the country really basically and we don't pay them anything, but look, we're, we're getting rid of all of everybody that takes care of this country. Let's go get them. So him and his army start to pursue, but what does God do? Parts the Red Sea. And can you imagine being one of those Israelites that goes through on dry land and then when Pharaoh and the army comes, the water overtakes them. Then the Israelites have a little bit of a problem. They're headed for the promised land, but they start griping and complaining. They start serving other gods. And do you ever think, come on, you saw the Red Sea part, and you, you decide to serve another god? You saw, you see the miraculous things that God did there, and you're serving another god? But you know what? Sometimes we can be hard on the Israelites, and we sometimes need to look inward for us. Because sometimes God's done some pretty miraculous stuff and we, we don't serve an idol, another God like that, but maybe we make an idol out of something else. But they, so they had, had seen all the miraculous things and then they do not get to go in the promised land because of serving other gods. But God raises up a man, Joshua, and Joshua is the man. And then finally he has a generation that believe the God and he takes them into the promised land. He takes them into the promised land and we, right before we get to Judges, Joshua's right in front of it and he says a couple things in the last couple chapters and I'm just gonna highlight a couple things. The first thing he says is, you all need to remember what God has done. It was God that fought our battles. Remember what God has done. The second thing he does is remember to be strong. And he says it in the front of his book and he says it at the back. Be strong and be careful to do what's written in the word of God, doesn't he? That is something he says multiple times. Hold fast to your God. Do not get mixed up with the nations that are yet to be defeated. And whatever you do, whatever you do, do not worship or pray to their gods. Love your God and worship your God. And then there is the verse in Joshua 24, 15, that is one that you're familiar with, especially at the end. It says, and if there is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the God of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua is warning them, right? He's telling them, be sure. Be sure to remember what God has said. Remember what he has done. And then just like they always do, you know, they do exactly what he says, right? No. No, they don't. Um, the Israelites to decide to do um, their own thing. Um, sometimes we get that way a little bit. 
The first thing I want you to look at your notes and look at number one. There's going to be two questions we're going to answer here, and that is, who are you going to serve and who are you going to tell? Who are you going to serve and who are you going to tell? It's not in your notes, but it'll be on the screen. When Joshua, Judges 2, 6, when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. Then we're going to skip down to verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done. Wait, God had done all that and there comes a generation that doesn't know? Doesn't that just, really? There's a generation that doesn't know what God has done? But you know what? Sometimes we aren't always so good about telling our stories about what God has done. Do you know what? A story is a powerful tool. The other day, um, my granddaughter, Ella, and I were in the car, and Ella is nine, and I happen to have one of my books in the back seat. Now, Ella and I, uh, Ella has tried to read this a couple times. I usually try and def deter her from doing it only because if you know my story um, it, it's going to talk about losing my daughter in 2004 when she got very sick and died and also losing my husband in 2013 so I she has said a couple times, how about if we read it together? And I thought, oh gosh, you are so sensitive. Like, she cries at the drop of a hat. If you read this story, you will just be bawling. And so I, I just keep thinking, I think I'll wait until she's a little bit older. But I didn't know that this was, I didn't realize it was in the back seat. I didn't know she had picked it up. And then she says, Nana, it says here, you can't breathe. Ella, what are you reading? And then I realized she is, she is reading a portion of my book. It says on there, Nana, you couldn't breathe. And I said, oh, Ella, haven't I ever told you that I was so sick with asthma that I couldn't breathe, that I struggled with that? And sometimes, many, many times, Gigi and Grams would have to take me to the hospital because I couldn't breathe. And, and they told us maybe that I would outgrow it, but I didn't outgrow it. And I said, I was in my 20s, and I had already had your mom when God healed me. I said, I went forward, God, and people prayed for me, and God healed me. And I said, Ella, do you ever hear me complain that I can't breathe? And she said, no. And I said, because God healed me. I don't have any problems with that. And I thought... I need to tell that story more. I need to tell her more. I need to tell my grandkids what God has done in my life so that they're looking and noticing what God is doing in theirs. And for them to have a faith to believe for what God's miraculous power can do in, in their own life. And you, may, you might be seeing, sitting there thinking, yeah, but Brenda, it's, it's easier for you. Because you tell stories all the time. I mean, you get up here and you do your thing and you tell stories all the time. And, and, and you came from a Christian family. You know, you grew up like that. And I wanted to say, I didn't grow up like that. 
My dad is a pastor. I did not grow up in a pastor's home. My dad didn't become a pastor until he was in his 40s. He didn't become a Christian until he was in his 30s. I was the first one in my household that received Jesus. And, and I was almost ready to start my freshman year. It would be later that my dad would and my mom and sister would follow. But I didn't grow up like that. But, but still, I need to realize that I have now a, an opportunity to pass down. My mom and dad do too. You know, we, were, we went to see uh, extended family. We had kind of a mini reunion with some of my mom's family the other day, and they were telling stories. Some of them I had heard, some of them I hadn't, and I was trying to lean in and listen. And that's what you should be doing with your family, with your friends, with your kids, with your grandkids. Think today, what story have I not told them that God has done in my life that they need to know? that they need to know. And you may be thinking, looking around and saying, well, I'm, I'm just not that kind of a crazy Christian that I, you know, like some of the people down the road from me that when I come to GT, I'm, I'm just not like that. But, but you still can tell your story. You still can tell your story. And, and the thing that I realize is we have to be really careful about what we are trying to serve you know what? Who are we going to serve? You know, we can say we love Jesus, but if we let other things become more important than him, then he is not the, the, the main God in our life. A career, a career is great unless you let it take over more than God. Recreation, oh goodness, it's, it's a beautiful day, it's summertime. It's great to go do something unless it becomes more than God. If we aren't careful with the things of this world, we will slowly, it never happens quickly, slowly, 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 slowly. The enemy will get you distracted enough where something else is becoming a God. Well, by now you may be thinking, guys, is she ever going to get to the story in Judges? And yes, she is. So look in Judges 6.1 in your notes. It says, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of the Midian for seven years. Another version says, yet again, yet again, the people of Israel went back to doing evil. Do you, can you kind of hear it? Oh, again. The Israelites are in trouble again because, not because they didn't obey God, because they only partially obeyed God. You know, when I was growing up and my dad told me to do something or my mom told me to do something and I only did it partially, that didn't cut it. Like that wasn't it. And it's the same thing with God. When he says what he says, we have to be obedient. Because see, the Israelites loved the promised land, but then they got comfortable and said, well, we've got part of the promised land, but we don't really have to get out of our comfort zone to go take the rest of it. Because really, you know, we're fine the way we are. But here's what. God knew that the next generation would be taken in by the gods of the ungodly nations. He knew that you did not want to get to a position where you were intertwining and intermarrying with other people that served another God because 
you would be taken away from him. Because partial obedience is not really obedience at all. And they had slipped away from God and had started worshiping Baal because that's what the neighbors were doing. And they got comfortable, so comfortable, that they just slowly let go of God and let another idol take that throne. For seven years, for seven years, the power of the Midnights was so oppressive that they had actually come into that country and taken over. The Israelites no longer lived in their homes. They had to hide in caves and in mountain clefts for seven years. The Israelites were lived off the land, so they would get out when the, when the Midianites had left the area and they plant, and the Midianites, as soon as it started to grow, would, would come and either take it away or camp on it so the, crowd, so the crops were ruined. That's what Israel was living in. Hardship, day in, day out. And that's what they were expecting every day. So look at number two, because what are you expecting? What are you expecting? My niece, Lindsay, and her husband, Manny, just had a little baby girl, and she is adorable. They, they already had a little boy. He's four. And um, they had, as for both of these children, they did not want to know what the sex was. Um, you know, way back in the day when I had my girls, you just didn't know until you had them, right? But when my daughter Amy had children, she could find out. So she found out and told, and it was a girl, two boys. But Lindsay didn't want to know. And um, the one thing about it was, even though they didn't know what the sex of the baby was, they did know what they were expecting. They were expecting a baby, right? They knew they were expecting a baby. And the Israelites knew what they were expecting as well. After seven years, they were expecting every time they were felt like they were just trying to get on top of things, the Midianites would come in. It had been seven years of Midianites overtaking them, and so that's what they had come to expect. Look at your scripture. Your reference should say Judges 6, 11 through 6, and it is not right on your notes. Judges 6, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth, which is an oak tree, which wouldn't have been easier if they just put oak tree? I think it would have been easier. Sat under the oak tree at Orpha, which belonged to Joas the Abrazite, why his son Gideon was beating wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, almighty man of valor. And, God's, and Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did, did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? So here's the thing. It said that they did not know the story, but they must have known some part of the story. But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of the Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of the Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said, 
but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midians as one man. Now, if you were trying to conjure up this scene in your mind, you would, you would take a picture of Gideon. He's in the wine press, trying to, um, trying to get the meaty, nutritious portion of the wheat out and then have the chaff chaff, um, just fall away. They have a place that that is supposed to be done, and that is in the threshing room. But he is not there. He is instead in the wine press. He somehow has found some wheat for his family, and somehow in this small wine press, he's supposed to, he is trying to do a job that is not meant to be done in that place. But yet he's trying to provide for his family. But he is in hiding. He, the reason he's in the wine press is because he is hiding and quietly trying to make enough food for himself. The second thing we notice about Gideon is he is doing just a Monday, everyday kind of job when, the, when God comes to him. You see, even when Israel time after time had turned their backs on Israelites, he was always reaching out and loving them, wasn't he? Just like us. We mess up all the time. Yet God loves you so much. He's always waiting to help you. And somehow, God sees this man named Gideon. He not only sees what everyone else sees about Gideon, but God sees in Gideon something that Gideon himself does not see, and that is his potential. As a matter of fact, God says to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now, valor actually means that quality that enables a person to encounter danger with firmness, personal bravery, and courage. Wait, is that the guy? Like, really, the guy hiding in the wine press is the guy? The guy that is the littlest, the, the, that he's, he's a guy? The third thing you need to notice about Gideon is what he thinks of himself. See, he tells the angel, wait, you must have the wrong guy. Because, like, our, my clan is the weakest in all of Manasseh, and... My own family, out of my own family, one version puts it this way. I'm the runt of the litter. Now, I don't know if you've ever had, seen little babies being born, but we, we've had a couple times where we had dogs that had little babies. And the runt is by far the littlest. And sometimes you don't even know if it's going to survive or if it's even going to amount to anything, if it's going if it, if to even going to live. And that's what he saw in himself. But isn't it great that when we think that kind of stuff about ourselves, God isn't looking at that at all. He looks at you in a completely different way. He didn't see Gideon as a guy that was living in fear of the enemy, and he doesn't see you that way either. He sees you for what you can be. Look at Judges chapter 6, verse 25. That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has cut that your father has, and cut down the asher that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord God on top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the asher that you shall cut down. 
So Gideon took ten of his men, of ten, ten men of his servants, and did as the Lord told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. Here's what we need to know. Gideon is going to do what God says, but he is scared to pieces. He is scared. So what does he do? He says, well, I'm scared. I think I'll take some people with me, right? I think I'll get, grab some people and say, Let's, this is what we need to do. I need you to come help me with that. And we're going to do it at night because, well, we're hoping that we don't get caught. But we're going to do what God says to do. And I want you to realize what a big deal this is. First of all, this is the God that the community worships. It's probably in the center of town. It's probably a big deal. And not only is this the God that they all worship, but his daddy is in charge of it. So not only is this going to be a problem in the community, this is going to be a problem with his dad. So he is scared, but he's scared and he does what God says anyway. Do you know sometimes in our lives, we're going to have to do it scared. We have to, we're going to have to do what God says, even though we don't know what to do. In Judges 6, verse 28, it's on the screen. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and Asherah beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And after they searched and inquired, they said, Gideon. The son of Joes has done this thing. And then the men of the town said to Joes, Bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the asher beside it. But listen to what his dad says. Joes said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal, or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jeroboam. That's to say, let Baal contend against him, because he broke down that altar. In other words, his daddy said, I, let's not kill my son. Let's see if the god that we had been serving and has now been destroyed, if, it's, if he's truly a god, he will take care of Gideon all by himself. Woo! I bet Gideon was like, ooh, thanks, Dad. That was a good thing to say. When he came back in the house, he said, Dad, thank you very much. Well, my final question to you today, and number three is, so where are you going? You might think, well, that's kind of a strange question. And, you know, I'm we're sitting in church. This is uh, the, the second service. I might be going for brunch or lunch. And um, I, don't, I don't really know what my plans are today. I'm just going to kind of hang out. But that isn't really the question I have for you. My question is, where do you see your life going? Where do you see your life going? Has God been speaking to your heart about doing something out of your comfort zone, but you've kind of been pushing it aside? Maybe, maybe God has been speaking to your heart that you should help somebody. Do something extra. Maybe help somebody financially or just help mow, mow somebody's yard or, or whatever. God is speaking to your heart, but you've just kind of pushed it aside because you're kind of busy.
today I want to challenge you in that area. We all have to make a choice of where we're going. You know, it was um, 1982, uh, April 15th, 1982. I always remember that day because we mailed our taxes as we moved. We, uh, we were leaving the Quad Cities. We had been living there for five years, and we were headed to Jacksonville. My husband had been, uh, we'd been married for five years, like I said, and we had two girls. Um, and BG had been um, selling in, in the car business for most, oh, well, pretty much all of our married life. They actually, he had just gotten a, a job for a car dealership um, right before we got married. And so they let him off for that Saturday afternoon to come get married. And he had to be back at work on Monday. But he had a job. Yay. <laughs> But BG had been in sales for, for years. So, you know, if you're ever in sales, you know, sometimes your paycheck is, ooh, and the next time your paycheck is, ooh, and you kind of go back and forth. And uh, But he had just uh, recently gotten to a management position, so the, the salary was, like, more even, and then you just got bonuses. So that it was so much easier to plan. And it just looked like our life was... Just, you know, we've got two girls. I work at a bank part-time. I, I managed to go part-time by then. And um, we just, we loved our church, and things were going good. And we went for a Sunday night service, and um, BG is up at the altar for quite a while. And um, on the way home, he said, I think I need to tell you something. He said, I think God has been working on my heart, and he's called me to go into ministry. And then he says, um, I was really called into ministry when I was 10 years old. He had left that fact out before we got married. He had never said, he probably had long forgotten. And he said, I think God is saying go into ministry. And I remember saying, I, you know what, I, I believe that's true. I, I really do. God had prepared my heart already, so I was ready to do it. And we thought, but what are we going to do? We have a house, and we have bills, and we have two children. And it's not like we, you know, we're just starting out that we could just quit everything and he could go to school. And we just didn't feel like that's what we were supposed to do. And so we just decided we'd pray about it, and a phone call came from um, the church in Jacksonville. His grandfather, BG's grandfather, who had pastored for years, I think this was the third time he'd come out of retirement to help a church, and, uh, and he said, um, I was, I've just really been praying. We really need a youth pastor, and your name keeps coming to mind. And he said to BG, will you come help me? Um, the, the church he was at, their pastor had died very suddenly. His grandpa had stepped in. And the one thing they had realized, it was a very small church. It was there, and they had no youth. But so they were hiring a youth pastor because they knew if they didn't get youth, the church would die. And so they had contacted us, and we felt like that's where we were supposed to go. And we've, we said, sure, we didn't know what we were doing. Yes, but sometimes, do you know what? The biggest things that I have found is a lot of times we don't know how it's going to work out, but God already has a plan. And sometimes it's as simple as saying yes. We had packed all of everything in the truck, and um, I was. it was a crazy day. We were leaving on Monday morning, but we went to church that Sunday night. 
BG and I used to always sit on the main floor, and we usually sat close up front, but because we were packing, we had gotten to church kind of late, so we were up in the balcony, right in front of where the balcony railing was. As a, as a song service went, I, I found myself just crying because, well, kind of a mixed. You know how sometimes it's mixed? You're, you're excited for the new, yet you're leaving everything you know. You're leaving your friends. We loved our church, you know, and so it was just mixed. But I remember looking over that balcony and I thought, dear Jesus, we are leaving our good jobs for a job that's going to pay us $60 a week. We don't know how we're going to survive and, but we know this is you. But I just want to tell you, God, I feel like I am taking a step off the balcony and waiting for you to catch me. It kind of feels like that, God. Yet I know. I don't know how it's going to be. I don't see how it can possibly work. Yet we feel so in our heart this is what we're supposed to do. We're going to trust you. And I want to challenge you. You know what, you might, everybody doesn't have to quit their job to go in the ministry. But sometimes it's that small voice on the inside. And, and some people say, well, how do you know it's of God? Well, there's a couple things. If it lines up with what the Word of God says. And sometimes I, I think it's God when I think, oh, I would never have thought that I should go and help her, or I never thought I should go and do that, or I never thought I should be a speaker, because that's not in me. See, sometimes we just have to wait and, and be quiet long enough for God to speak to our heart. And when he does, I want to challenge you today to follow his leading. Follow him where he goes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness. God, you are so faithful to us, and we are so grateful to you. God, as we look about where we're going and choosing how our life is going to be lived, I pray, God, that you will quicken to our hearts that, God, we will not have a selfish, comfortable life that doesn't ever do anything that we're supposed to do, that we will not be the Israelites. Oh God, we may mess up like them, but God, let us always run back to you. Let us come back to you and say, God, forgive me and help me to be the kind of person you want me to be. Help me not to be so scared to do anything that you have spoken to my life, but let me go in boldness because I know that you're going to be working in, in and through me. We thank you for it now in Jesus' name. And right now, if you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we're going to pray together. It is the best decision you can make. Just pray along with us. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you and I need you. I admit that I have sinned and I ask you to forgive me of every sin. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Be my King. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And I would like to tell you that if that's 
If you prayed that prayer for the very first time today, or maybe you're rededicating your life, we would love to partner with you and help you for the next steps. And all you have to do is um, text the word heaven to 41411. And we have some resources that will really help you in your walk with Jesus. So please be sure and take advantage of that. And right now, you may be saying, I thought she said we're going to talk about Gideon. And we never got to the story of Gideon and his 300 men. But don't worry, because part two of Gideon is next week. And so you all come back, and we will actually talk about Gideon and his 300 men, okay? God bless you. Have a great week. See you next week.